Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Green. What's up, buddy? Let's get that sixth seed, baby. Here we go. It's sixth seed season. That that needs some work. We need a new hashtag. I'm all right. Yeah. How are you? Six seed in the six, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm all right. Start of a busy day for me. I've got I've got talking to do. Yeah. By the way, uh, don't set your sights so low. The Raptors are only one game out of fifth in the Eastern Conference now. Yeah, but that doesn't have the alliteration or the Toronto ties going yeah. for it. Yeah, plus the sixth spot is the you avoid the play-in tournament spot. So that's the goal. Yeah. Um, Boy, how the bar has dropped quickly. Yeah, well, uh, if they can make it out of February, you know, afloat, then uh, many things will still be possible, I believe. Yeah, we are at the uh, exact one-third way of the Toronto Raptors season, by the way. We are 24 out of 72 games in. Uh, the Raptors through those 24 are 11 and 13. By the way, we mentioned uh, six alliteration. If you are not subscribed to the written side of The <laughs> Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six uh, for a discounted subscription uh, right now for $3.99 a month. Uh, check out all our wonderful work. Uh, we have some good stuff coming this week, I think, um, on top of the usual game coverage I have uh, teed up the Raptors 905 season on Monday. If you're at all curious about what that's going to look like, I have, as we're recording this, uh, a piece on Malachi Flynn and kind of the lessons he's trying to take from Fred and Pascal and Norm as he heads down to the 905. Uh, Eric has a big fun thing coming Wednesday that I can't remember if you are cool uh, to it, talk about or want to save it. It's a big ass profile on uh, one of uh, this year's good stories. Uh, Aaron from Baines. The Raptors perspective. Yes, the Aaron Baines profile. <laughs> uh, it is not the Aaron Baines profile. Anyway, so head to theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not subscribed to the written side yet, or just keep an eye out for any of those articles and uh, click subscribe off of those. Uh, Eric, the Raptors had a pretty good week. Pretty, predicted... pretty, pretty good. Yeah. You uh you predicted they would go two and two as usual. You were wrong, uh, but you got three of the four games right. They yeah, beat this the is like this is like the most right I've been. Yeah. Let's not bury the lead here. Yeah. They uh they beat the Magic without much issue uh, for the second time in a row. They then beat the Brooklyn Nets uh, amid some extreme weirdness uh, around Kevin Durant's COVID status. They then lost to the Atlanta Hawks on the second night of a back to back where they just kind of. Ran out of steam, and then they beat the Memphis Grizzlies by 15 on Monday, uh, despite being down quite a bit in the third quarter. Uh, they took advantage of JV's rest minutes uh, to swing the game, which, if you remember five years ago what the conversation around JV was, uh, it's pretty funny that the Raptors were hoping he didn't come back out on the court for the, the fourth quarter. Um, the Raptors basically shelving Baines for the last uh, 18 minutes or so of the half, um, just dealing with Chris Boucher against JV or, or shifting Pascal Siakam over. Um, you know, there were issues in that game. The The final defensive line doesn't look uh, particularly good with Memphis scoring uh, 113 points on 93 possessions. Uh, but over the last 15 minutes, they held Memphis to, I think, just 18 points, uh, which is a pretty good number. And, you know, you saw a lot of strong De individual defensive performances. Uh, you look at the box score, and, and that win is punctuated by Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and Norman Powell all almost scoring uh, 30 points. They went 32, 32, and 29, respectively, all very efficiently as well. Um, that's kind of what stands out, but the game swung not only on the, the transition game that, that opened up some of that scoring for them, uh, but guys like Siakam... Uh, Van Vliet, and I thought DeAndre Bembry uh, was excellent defensively down the stretch on Job Morant as well. Uh, Eric, three in one week, obviously, as the record hangs at 11 and 13, um, you know, so I, I get the feeling some people are still having uh, a little trouble getting optimistic about the team or, or where they're headed. Um, where, where are your vibes at after the week? Uh, I enjoyed you saying they handled Orlando pretty easily at the start of that with, uh, you know, completely neglecting to mention uh, one of the greatest performances of all time in, in franchise history. But it has been a week uh, since then. So I, I, I forgot all about Fred dropping 54. <laughs> yeah. um, that was cool. Um, well, I got to say, before uh, JV went out at the third quarter on 
what day? Monday. Monday. <laughs> um, today is Blurns Day, correct? Um, I was a bit concerned because the Raptors had a pretty awful game. I, I would actually change that to a pretty awful second half defensively against Atlanta. I thought in the first half, Atlanta was like just knocking in a lot of pretty difficult shots at time. Uh, at times, but then in the second half, uh, Trey Young was definitely having his way, as he tends to do. Um, but you know, you look at Atlanta and Memphis in terms of their offensive ratings, as, and as they stand now, they're 14th and 22nd in the league. And they, you know, Atlanta scored what was it, 132 or something on the Raptors. Memphis put up 70 in the first half on the Raptors. Uh, that doesn't bode well for the Raptors' defense, uh, which had been sort of trending in the right direction. And I was, you know, getting pretty close to forming some conclusions about the Raptors' defensive potential against jittery uh, point guards. And that does a disservice to both uh, Trey Young and Ja Morant, who are more than, you know, jittery. They're super fast and super talented, obviously. Uh, but... You know, once JV went out, the Raptors' collective effort uh, was as good as we've seen in quite some time. I, I want to say especially on the glass, but you had Yuta Watanabe out there. You had uh, DeAndre Bembry out there for a while. Uh, you had Pascal, Pascal Siakam defensively in the second half and not in the usual flying out to contest shots way, like in the doing dirty work down low type of way was awesome, I thought. And that's, you know, reason for encouragement. As Nick Nurse said, like, we shouldn't be relying on flipping a switch. And that's basically what it looked like. Um, and they were able to carry it over to when Jonas Valanciunas came back in the game. But that type of effort, that's what they need to be an elite or, or even a, a good defensive team because obviously they have some physical shortcomings that are going to be harder to get over. So, you know, they've, they've got their 10th in net rating. Now they find a, a way to flip a game totally that has to have them feeling good going into Wednesday's game. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic, but Atlanta and Memphis broke both brought pretty significant warning signs. I would say. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. I mean, the defense, is not uh up to par yet uh you know like you said you shouldn't be uh they shouldn't be switch flipping they're not a good enough team to do that um so to zoom out a little bit they have won four of their last five despite those struggles uh they are nine and five since their poor two two and eight start and obviously all those games count but uh we did see a lot of randomness pretty early in the season uh, around the league um, oh, on the year now, they were they are up to tenth in net rating, which we know is a you know a better predictor of the season to come than it is than uh, record is. They're also nineteenth on defense and seventh on offense, which is kind of the opposite <laughs> of what we expected. Uh, the number seven on offense is especially interesting, considering they haven't been they've been a high volume transition team, but not a very effective transition converting team uh, yet. So the half court offense been a little better. Than we expected as well. Uh, before we get into some of the specifics uh, of that offensive turnaround and some of the the issues they're still dealing with, yeah, a few updates for you or non updates as they were. Patrick Bacaw remains sidelined. He uh, returned to the non contact portions of practices last week, but the Raptors are playing five games in seven days and uh, are in a bajillion cities over a short amount of time. So uh, practice time is at a premium. Not sure when Bacaw's back. OG Ananobi still out dealing with a left calf strain that he suffered at the end of the second Pacers game. Um, he's kind of a day-to-day. -day. Nick Nurse mentioned that they were hopeful they'd get him back uh, at the back end of this road trip, but that wasn't a certainty um, with a back-to-back -back ahead. I'm going to bet no. Uh, yeah, but, and I mean, if he does, yeah. it's probably the Boston game because you don't want to bring bring yeah. it back right into a back-to-back, -back, right? Yeah, I'm just uh, betting no because I was out 15 months with a calf strain. So, yeah. uh, you know, you take my relative strength versus OGs and, uh, yeah. So How maybe, long were you yeah. out with uh, an appendectomy? <laughs> uh, 
well, I was in the hospital for a month, for a week, not a month, uh, because my appendix, my appendix perforated and, and I was infected and had a fever. Um, I returned to my education, uh, my, my hard work <laughs> as a journalism student after a month. So that was quicker than OG, but that did not involve quite the physical labor that OG would have had to do in, in defending Clay Thompson and, and uh, you know, Sean Livingston and Draymond Green and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go and say that uh, he is probably a faster healer than me, and he is some of the world's best uh, trainers working on him, which helps. Yeah, um, so OG and Macaw still... Um... You know, we don't really know when they'll be back, but possibly OG in this uh, Wednesday, Thursday back to back. Um, we know that they won't have Jalen Harris, who's down in the G League bubble and will probably stay there almost no matter what happens uh, with the NBA roster. Bigger question is Malachi Flynn. Malachi Flynn was sent to the G League bubble as well, which was a bit of a question mark. Um, the Raptors moving ahead with, with just 12 healthy bodies. That got called into question a little bit. Uh, on Monday night, as Kyle Lowry left the game in the first quarter with back spasms and did not return, uh, there was no indication of how serious this is or, or if they expect it to um, linger on or, or, you know, what the severity is. It's possible they could finish out this road trip uh, with only uh, 11 guys. And obviously they closed out Memphis with Fred Van Vliet as the only point guard, um, the only natural point guard on the roster. Uh, Terrence Davis and Norman Powell kind of, and even DeAndre Bembry a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I was going to say split the point guard duties otherwise. Um, you know, if Lowry's absence were going to be any serious amount of time, I'd have to imagine Malachi Flynn would be recalled. Uh, as I reported last week, the quarantine protocols for recall from the G League bubble, if a player's been there seven days, uh, which Flynn has not been uh, quite yet, Actually, today's his seventh day. So um, if he were to be recalled tomorrow, uh, if he took a commercial flight, he would need to return two days of negative tests before he can rejoin team activities. Um, if he were to drive or the team chartered a flight, he could uh, do a zero zero day quarantine. Basically, get on it coming because he's coming from a bubbled environment. Um, anyway, Uncle so Larry, Uncle Larry, get on it. There's a bit of a question mark there uh, with Lowry and Flynn. We probably won't even get an update until um, Wednesday because the Raptors are not practicing on Tuesday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and my Malachi Flynn piece uh, about what he's, how he's approaching the G League bubble uh, might have a very short shelf life. So read that now, please. Yes. Um, quickly, let's just talk about the 905 uh, briefly uh, just to get it. Uh, no, we need, to, we need to lead with the sexy stuff for sure. I'm just... Same. <laughs> Malachi Flynn's going down there and it's exciting. And if you're curious about the 905, I did a, a breakdown of the key storylines to watch. Um, there are lots of familiar faces from X Raptors and X 905ers to Canadian basketball players on the schedule. Uh, the 905 play the G League Ignite on Saturday. Uh, 11 of the 905's 15 games don't overlap with Raptors games. Uh, which is nice. Uh, we still have the season starts tomorrow and we still don't know any broadcast information, but that's cool. Uh, that's uh, anyway, keep an eye out for that stuff. And of course, um, producer Andrew and I will hijack this podcast after the March 3rd meeting between Raptors 905 and Poku and the OKC blue. Um, Eric, one quick note. I mentioned the G league ignite. We talked, we green roomed this a little bit before we came on. Uh, Kind of funny that the the G League Ignite, the veteran contingent that's uh, with the prospects there, leans very Raptors heavy. There is, of course, former Raptor Amir Johnson, former Raptor Jarrett Jack, and Raptors summer league legend Bobby Brown. Uh, those are the three elder statesmen helping guide these G League Ignite uh, players. So Yes, uh, you know, Amir Johnson, obviously a fan favorite and, you know, pretty damn important Raptor uh, of this era. Uh, and then Jarrett Jack, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, gave uh, one of the greatest quotes of all time during the Jason Whitlock White Vegas story, saying, if I haven't been to the strip clubs here, they can't be that damn good. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I will repeat as often as possible. He told that to uh, Bruce Arthur when he was then my teammate at the National Post, which is a uh, national newspaper that, uh, you know, 
has some questionable columnists. But I digress. Yeah, Bruce writes about basketball. No, he's a he's a health writer now. Yeah, he sure is. Uh, okay, we can talk about the uh, the actual NBA Raptors now. I suppose um, now that we've got uh, I, I just, uncertainty out of the way. I just wanted to, uh, you know, it's fun. You always get me agitated, so to throw some G League shade at you to get you, like, it's the only way to agitate you, for sure. Yeah, the G League Uh, doesn't matter. Fred Van Vliet didn't drop 54 points earlier this week, and Pascal Siakam isn't a max contract (laughs) player. What what use is the G League? Yeah, uh, I was uh, another self-plug. I'll be on uh, the Athletics uh, podcast, The Lead, on Wednesday, talking about Fred Van Vliet. And uh, we talked a lot about, uh, or, or at least a little bit, about uh, the G League's importance to the Raptors and Fred's growth mindset in the parlance of the Raptors. Yes, parlance of uh, a lot of kind of social psych, I guess, or or business psych. Yeah. Um, all right, shout out the loon shots. Uh, so, uh, Eric, do you want to do positives or negatives first from kind of where the Raptors are at right now? I got a couple bullet points for each. Um, hmm. I usually go negative first. So let's start negative because then like we can, uh, or I'm just thinking about that little chart that says when listeners stop listening. Um, let's like go look at that. Uh, occasionally by accident. Uh, let's start negative. Let's be true to my brand. All right. Um, Aaron Baines. Oh, he had turned things around for a little bit there. Uh, I thought he played pretty well from, uh, you know, the two Indiana games, even Milwaukee and and through the Orlando series. He was even okay against Brooklyn. He has taken a turn in the wrong direction, I would say. He went three halves without grabbing a defensive rebound across the Atlanta game and the first half of the Memphis game. Uh, He has, by a pretty significant margin, uh, the worst net rating of any Raptors regular at, at minus 4.4. Uh, Stanley Johnson is the only other regular with a negative net rating, and his is just a little below um, even there. The starting lineup, which for a while, the part of the argument to keep starting Baines was that, yes, he was bad, but the actual starting five had been okay. Um, they have a minus 4.2 net rating, um, so not great there either. And, and then the the kind of alternate starting lineup, uh, which I lost the number for. Oh, yeah. The alternate starting lineup when OG Ananobi is out uh, has also had a minus 1.5 net rating and is just bleeding defensively. Uh, If you dive into some of the specifics with on-offs and wowie stuff, um, Baines is having a a pretty outsized negative impact on on Siakam's game. Or, sorry, I shouldn't say it with that causation. Baines and Siakam are struggling together, um, and qualitatively, it appears... <laughs> and and you have your theory about why. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the the spacing is really poor when Baines is on the floor because teams don't respect him outside the three-point line, and they're helping way off to, to send an extra body to Siakam, and Baines has a bit of a tendency to um, cut or roll into useful space. Um, and, like, Baines is not terrible, and he's better than this, but it is, uh, you know, Jonas Valanciunas is about the most, uh, short of Embiid, he's about the most obvious, quote-unquote, Baines matchup, and Baines was unplayable uh, against him um, for large stretches of Monday's game. Um, So I I guess what I'm going to ask you is... Do they? How long do they continue with Baines as a starter in this kind of nominal small minutes role? Um, obviously, Boucher coming off the bench and, and offering that change of pace and energy spark is something Nick Nurse values a lot, uh, especially while Norman Powell is starting, I think. Um, so I guess, does Baines continue to get this leash? Do they try going back small when OG's back? Um, you know, they did start that one game like that with, with Norm Uh, staying in the starting lineup and not starting a traditional center. Um, You know, does Stanley Johnson get back into the rotation here? What's your, what's going on with Baines, man? What do we do here? Um, Well, he does lead the league in layup attempts that touch only glass and not rim. So that, that's good. Um, That was an unnecessary shot at him, but he has not shown great touch around the rim. Let's just say. He's struggling. 
Um, If you wanted to quantify that, by the way, he is shooting 54% at the rim, which uh, when almost all of your shots there are assisted and you are a seven footer, um, you are six foot ten. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you miss a tip in whatever that that's fine, you're in there fighting. But um, 21 of his 29 field goals at the rim have been assisted. And uh, yeah, shooting 54.7% on those is. Not great. Uh, yeah, so that's bad. Uh, the one thing I will say about the last two games in which the Raptors were destroyed defensively, particularly when he was on the floor, is the guards were getting beaten a lot. And at, I think Jack Armstrong pointed this out on the broadcast. At some point, the job of the center is to come over and help and, you know, to, you know, act as a deterrent to the shot. And, you know, you look, I think Ja Morant shot five for 17 um, last night. I think if you went back and watched the tape, many of them would be the so-called Kobe assists, <laughs> where, you know, a missed shot directly leads to a a rebound from, from Valanchunas because he's, Baines is no longer in position because he had to go help. So, and that's not... You know, ideally, there would be there was a play that Clint Capella made in against Atlanta where he helped on the driver and then recovered to, I believe, block Baines. Um, like ideally, that you could do that, but let's just say he's not Clint Capella. <laughs> let's go. Let's go in terms of being nimble. So I don't think we can just say Yodis dominated. Ergo, what's Aaron Baines' purpose. A lot of that falls on needing better team defense in front of them. Saying all that, it was bad. There were moments in which Jonas just straight up overpowered him for rebounds, you know, easily went over him and got position for short hooks. And that's, you can't see that. And that's to say nothing of what happened on the offensive end when he was out there, which was bad. Um, I think we've sort of talked about this a few yeah, times. Yeah, it keeps coming up. Uh, he gets better yeah, for yeah. a little bit and then it yeah. gets bad again. Uh, and so my answer sort of stays the same until there are great alternatives. I think he'll continue to start in a small role and continue to see if they can get away with those minutes or even find some sort of rhythm with those minutes because you can't play Chris Boucher starting uh, against, uh, you know, a, a large chunk uh, or a significant chunk, let's say, of starting centers in this league. It's just a bad idea. Um, because you lose, not only do you lose your energy off the bench, but, you know, Boucher picks up fouls and you just might not be able to play him as much because he's often starting against lesser physical presences. And that makes him less likely to foul in those situations. And therefore there aren't many foul prone minutes, if that makes sense, uh, in his, you know, just... You can get him 30 minutes, but the 30 minutes which he plays sort of have to be against, you have to have 10 of those or so against a lesser physical presence or else it's not going to work. You're only going to get 25 minutes out of Boucher, uh, if that math makes sense, which it probably doesn't, but you get the idea. So I think he continues to start. I think once OG comes back, if the struggles continue, especially given how Norm has... uh, has looked as a starter, they more seriously flirt with starting with the quote unquote big five. Uh, and the way Pascal, again, I, I, I didn't see anybody talk about it after the game. I thought, you know, people were saying how Boucher battled Valanchunas late, and he did, but I thought Pascal Siakam was the more most important guy defending uh, and battling Jonas for rebounds and just, you know, trying to make his life difficult in any way that he could. So I mean, I think, no one talked about it. You didn't read my piece? Um, I did read your piece, but uh, sorry. I Full disclosure, I listened to the Nick Nurse portion of the press conference and then uh, had to get off. Uh, but I think he was more important than Boucher in that perspective with that uh, in mind and the combination of him and OG Ananobi, who, as we've talked about before, is usually the de facto center defender in those lineups. 
gives you a more legitimate starting option than Boucher and Siakam does, if that makes sense. For sure. And, and, you know, before the season, we talked a lot about what that kind of we we framed it up as a closing five of Lowry, Van Vliet, Powell, Siakam and OG might look like. And they couldn't go to it much early in the season because Norman Powell was struggling so much. And you only really get like you can get the defensive benefit from that lineup still. But that offensive benefit, you need to get the extra scoring punch that or and the extra shooting that makes up for, you know, the lack of a big body and the the decreased rebounding and the decreased screen setting. So, um, you know, that was a little tougher when Powell was struggling. And as we'll talk about when we get the positives, Powell is no longer struggling. Uh, one other negative I want to get your take on here, Eric. Uh, as uh, the Athletics Blake Murphy pointed out on, on Twitter during the game Monday, the Toronto Raptors have received 28 technical fouls on the season. That's in 24 games. No other team has more than 20. Um, yes, there has been a lot of talk throughout the year about, oh, the Raptors don't get the whistle or they're on the wrong side of the whistle. And it seems to come up in every post game. And Nick Nurse has tiptoed to keep his money. Um, the reality is the Raptors are 10th in the league in free throw rate base. When, once you adjust for um, pace and, and field goal attempts and stuff like that, uh, they're 10th in free throw rate, despite having somewhat of a passive shot profile not not as passive as it was early in the season but they shoot a lot of threes and you don't get fouled on threes and they don't they're not a you know an elite rim pressure team and that's where you tend to get the most free throws and still they're 10th in free throw rate um the issue is not that they're not getting the whistle the issue is that they are fouling more than any other team uh in the league they are 30th in opponent free throw rate uh while i understand that that can be frustrating um, and people see the free throw disparity and, and think it means a certain thing. As a reminder, you know, uh, fair does not mean equal necessarily. And there are teams that have in their DNA and, and in their profiles um, high or low foul tendencies. And, and the Raptors are hyper aggressive defense. They lead the league in turnovers forced. And you have to take some gambles to do that. Um, and they also have just some high foul players like a Terrence Davis, um, like a Chris Boucher for, for spurts. Pascal Siakam started the season with foul trouble for like 10 or 15 games straight. Uh, anyway, all of this is to say, Eric, that there's not obviously some mass conspiracy or anything like that. The Raptors are getting the whistle a lot and getting to the free throw line a lot, given their uh, shot profile and personnel. Do you have an issue with the volume of technical fouls? They have 40% more techs than any other team. Uh, and you could certainly, while Nick Nurse getting ejected on Monday, happened to line up with the turnaround point in the game for, for the Raptors. Uh, I don't, again, I don't think there's necessarily causation there. I think Taylor Jenkins had as much a hand in uh, tur- tilting things back in Toronto's favor as uh, Nick Nurse's ejection did. Um, but where, how do you feel about the Raptors being this high tech team? And, and I think very clearly at this point, having a reputation as being a, um, greasier wheel, if, uh, <laughs> if we're going to put the it greasiest. Politely. Yeah. Um, well, as I said on Twitter, you know, once you got the two high tech guys out of there and, and Kyle Lowry and, uh, Nick Nurse, they sur- sure looked a, a lot more spirited and focused, uh, so obviously they should stop complaining so much. Um, that was kind of a joke, uh, but I don't know. I don't find it interesting or fun to watch a team complain. I don't think it's very, it can be helpful in spurts. And I, and I think like, you know, Nick Nurse was asked if picking up texts or complaining to the officials as part of a coach's job. And he didn't really answer that question. But I think, you know, a well-timed tech with the right message and, you know, you got to be looking for X, Y, and Z uh, isn't always a bad thing. But this is, it's ridiculous. And these things can turn games. Like I, you can't, I think it was the Brooklyn game at the end of the first half, they gave them two straight texts and you're playing like one of the most high powered offenses in the league. You don't need to be given three points away. Those points matter. Uh, and I, I like, did you think the officiating was bad last night? I didn't. 
like I thought the officiating was fine. Like I remember, I think Fred Van Vliet got knocked down at mid court, and I was like, that was like the first time I was yeah. like, oh, there probably should have been a whistle there. Yeah, like um, JV belonged at the free throw line a lot, and yeah. the Raptors won by fifteen and only had a three free throw. Uh, yeah, Fred, Fred so Van like, Vliet got to the line 10 times, and he's the guy who, like, I think is at the center of a lot of why aren't I getting these calls, like him and Siakam, I'd say. And uh, Now, Van, now the, the discussion around that seems to have been helping, though. Uh, Van Vliet's gotten to the line nine or more times in four of the last six, so... Yeah, so exactly. Maybe keep, it's keep complaining. Um, but it's just, like, it's not fun to watch. It's not fun to see your team... Uh, you know, with the expecting something to come. And even as Nurse said, like, we are a physical team. We've got to learn what level of physicality is expected. And we probably got to keep our emotions in check a little bit better. But, you know, it starts with him to a certain degree. It starts with him and Lowry uh, because, you know, without looking, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they lead the team. Uh, So uh, they've... Again, it's not a huge thing. I personally don't enjoy the the constant parade. Uh, like Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam often don't get calls because, you know, Fred Van Vliet is, is smaller than a lot of the players and hasn't necessarily learned how to... He has a lot of, let's just say, off-balance finishes at the rim. And, and so does Pascal Siakam. And it's not the same as Kyle Lowry, who goes in there not only hunting contact, but also, like, up and in control. I think those guys still have to learn to go with their sort of their shoulders, you know, straight up and not on a slant. And if that happens, they're probably going to get more calls. And I I don't say that like it's an easy thing to do. It's not. You're trying to finish uh, at the rim. uh, And that means, you know, looking for some odd angles. But just because you end up off balance or on the floor doesn't mean you were fouled in an age where teams, where referees are looking for that sort of verticality. Like guys are allowed, guys who are bigger than you and stronger than you in a lot of cases are allowed to go up straight and have body contact and it's not a foul. So, you know, you, you've got to, I would just like to see them pick their battles a little bit more. Yes. Um, and yes, Lowry does lead the team with five. Uh, Baines and Van Vliet both have three as well. I, I believe I I picked this. I predicted this year that Pascal Siakam would lead the league and or lead the team in techs, and that was dumb. Yeah, not a not a good pick. He has zero. <laughs> he almost had one last night. Yeah, you know who? <laughs> it, it's it is the the technical foul leaders. Let let's revisit. Let's visit it here, just because. Um, you know the the Raptors have always been at least we'll say in the the uh, Raptors reasonableist era the Raptors have always been a high tech team. Uh, Dwayne Casey was careful about it, but Lowry and DeRozan are always among the league leaders. Uh, DeRozan has four on the year, which is ninth in the league. Lowry has five, which is in a big tie for four. Uh, and then the rest of the leaders are who you would expect, with one exception. So Dwight Howard leads the league. And he's followed by Westbrook, Draymond, and DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, do you know who else is tied with Lowry and Cousins? That's so a, a big surprise. There's a Raptors tie, I yes. assume. Uh, Kawhi? No. Bismack uh, Biombo. <laughs> that big bully with five technical fouls I thought he was already. such a nice guy, such a nice man, such a gentle giant. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable, eh? Yeah. Uh, okay. You know what is fun, Eric? Not talking about officiating and technical fouls. Uh, what is fun is uh, three Raptors playing pretty pretty darn well uh, over the last little bit, even as, um, you know, the team works some things out defensively. Some of their top scorers are coming around offensively. We talked about Fred Van Vliet, uh, or, or sorry, we glossed over Fred Van Vliet scoring 54 freaking points in a game um, and hitting 11 threes. He's up to now. 21 points, four rebounds, six assists, and almost two steals per game. His true shooting percentage has nudged up to 56%, so um, roughly league average on 24% usage, which is uh, pretty good when you're a lead point guard and you have a a pretty solid uh, assist-to-turnover ratio as well. I guess we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we we kind of, not debated, but just like, 
pointed out that Van Vliet, Siakam, and Lowry are all fairly similar statistically, and each has a, a strength or a weakness against the other if we were having to pick one Raptor for the All-Star team. Do you think Van Vliet has pulled ahead a little bit? Uh, he's now averaging four more points than Lowry. Lowry has an edge on the, on the glass and, and with assists, uh, but Van Vliet has been better defensively as well. And, and in terms of scoring efficiency, uh, Lowry only has a, a slight edge on Van Vliet because of, well, hitting 11 threes and scoring 54 points on like 18 shots or something. That'll help. Yeah. Um, uh, Van Vliet uh, also has a, a much a much stronger assist to turnover ratio. And while he's not um, quite the playmaker that, that Lowry is in terms of getting teammates in uh, better positions, and Lowry would probably have like 1.2 assists per game more if Aaron Baines could uh, catch and finish, um, you know, a 28% assist rate with a, a single digit turnover rate for Van Vliet is pretty good. It's interesting because when you're and I'll preface this by saying like I haven't there was one night I think where I, I woke up in the middle of the night and for whatever reason started to try and form the all-star team in my head sure. um, and my basic math said it's going to be hard for the Raptor to make the team at the time like I think I came to 10 without th- like 10 guys who are definitely going to be there um, right away so I haven't done that exercise properly yet uh but let's just talk about it from a raptor's perspective as you frame the question uh it's interesting because it's this is going to come down to a coach's vote like none of the raptors are in the top 10 in their position in the eastern conference through fan vote and and even though starters aren't only determined by the fans that pretty much puts them out of the question uh if you're not even touching uh the top five or six with the fans at, at your position so we're looking at the coaches and Often, I've thought inertia is the biggest factor with the coaching vote, and Kyle Lowry is the all-star, the six-time all-star, so that would lead you to believe that he has the best chance, but from a narrative perspective, um, and this is before even getting to the actual play, which is what you asked me about. <laughs> I think Van Vliet is certainly coming on strong. And, you know, I, I don't think you find many coaches across the league who don't love Van Vliet and, and what how he plays, but also, you know, what he represents in terms of his story. Um, and I think that will probably overtake Lowry, especially if Lowry misses the next few games um in in terms of the coaches minds and i think siakam probably struggle had too long of a period of struggling to really get there uh so i do think he's he's probably your favorite whether he makes the team probably depends a lot on what happens in the next week or in a little bit uh but you know it'd be it'd be a great story um the thing working against him is that you know the and the, I believe the Eastern Conference is pretty damn guard heavy. Uh, without without thinking too hard about it, like you got Young, you've got Kyrie. yeah. I, I, again, I I only asked you you know in terms of deserving. We can do that closer to the All Star break yeah. and break it down. But we're running a little long, so we should uh, yeah. So I I do I do think I do think Van Vliet is you know independent of what's going on in the rest of the league, probably the best candidate right now. Yeah. And, you know, there's some concern about the Raptors record and how that might affect things. So uh, pressure to keep winning. And also uh, there are only three good teams in the Eastern Conference. So maybe that won't be a big deal after all. Um, And yes, that's some Boston Celtics slander ahead of a a Boston Celtics matchup. Um, More positives. And and it feels a little weird to not be discussing Pascal Siakam, who was uh, an all-star starter last year through that lens. He obviously had a, a tougher start to the season. He has now scored 30 plus in four of his last six games. Uh, he is getting to the rim a little bit more than last year. Still not 2018, 2019 levels, but a little bit more. And he's shooting a higher field goal percentage from every zone of the floor inside the arc. So uh, at rim, short, mid range, long, mid range, he's, ticked his effectiveness up in every one of those areas. He's also seen a pretty big spike in assist percentage, uh, up to 21%, where Van Vliet, Siakam, and Lowry are basically, um, by usage, by points per game, and by assist percentage, they are sharing the scoring and playmaking load 
you know, not exactly equally, but they're all up above 22%. They're 22% or higher in usage and they're 21% or higher in assist percentage. Um, this is a pretty shared offense and Pascal Siakam has trended in the right direction. Another guy who's pretty low on uh turnover rate, by the way, um, his true shooting percentage is still down at 543 uh, and that's in large part because he hasn't shot the three well at 27% on four attempts a game. Um, but I think process-wise and effectiveness-wise, uh, in terms of everything but the three-point shot, we've seen Siakam look much, much better of late. Um, you know, it even looked uh, Monday, like, you you know, we talked a little bit about his performance in the bubble and how the joy was gone from his game. You know, he was, uh, to use an old Brett Favre, he was a big kid having fun out there, uh, <laughs> just, just gunslinging. Um, but I thought, you know, the Milwaukee game was rough for him, his first game back from injury, but otherwise he's turned in, you know, six pretty good games. Um, you know, not his best against Atlanta maybe, but uh, I think he's he's like definitively trending in the right direction and looks like he's um, figured some of the, the process side and aggressiveness side stuff out as well as you know figuring out how to be a, a five assist a game guy um and we, you mentioned earlier his, his defense taking a tick up uh monday which is really important because i i don't think he's been um super effective defensively on the year as a whole uh so to see both of those things trending in the right direction uh is pretty encouraging yeah yeah um as i joked with J josh lewenberg he he basically tweeted out the Brett Favre thing, uh, a version of it. And I said, oh, it's funny how fun and good overlap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they're directly correlated. Uh, and I always, again, I've said this on this podcast again, not to gloss over any serious issues uh, that were going on in the bubble and how draining that was for a lot of people involved, including Pascal Siakam. When you're doing well at your job, it's a lot easier to like your job. Um, so I, I think that's a lot of it, but yeah, like you, uh, uh, something I've noticed is he's really pulling out in the post-op and then re-engaging in a smart way. He's seeing the traps coming and maybe if he's not making the right pass right away, he's at least recognizing them and getting the ball out of his hands and giving his teammates a, a chance to make plays. Uh, he's been really, really solid. Um, I still have some overall concerns about his ball handling. Uh, you know, I, I think his, for whatever reason, like he's a great left-handed finisher, or at least I, I like him as a left-handed finisher. I'm not sure what the numbers bear out, but his left-handed dribbling is still leaves something to desire. Yeah, it's um, kind of high and loopy, right? It's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost a surprise that he has only an 11% turnover rate. Because he does dribble in a way that you'd think his pocket get, would get picked a bit more. Yeah, uh, and I, I guess he's just not he's not being defended by low to the ground guards that frequently, and, right. and, that, and that helps not turn the ball over. Uh, and I, I think sort of that's what we saw against Boston when you have like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. Uh, not that those guys are short by any means, but who are really great defenders and can get low. Like that, those numbers can creep up. Uh, but I, I think just his decision making has been a lot better. His aggressiveness, uh, like like there aren't many games now that I just am like, where's Pascal? And I think there were a lot of those, you know, three weeks ago or whatever. I, I'm pretty pleased to see the direction this is trending. Uh, he's got to keep it up. Uh, and I think the Raptors are, are certainly doing a good job of, of cutting for him. Uh, and he's another guy who would have a few more assists if Aaron Baines was <laughs> finishing. So uh, uh, he does, if anything, he's throwing too many dump off passes to Aaron Baines. <laughs> so uh, maybe go up and, and sacrifice the shooting percentage and, and maybe uh, Aaron will get a rebound. Uh, maybe he won't. Uh, but uh, I, I do like where this is going. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one more quickly. We mentioned it a little earlier. We're running a bit long here, uh, but Norm has had nine good offensive games in his last 10. Uh, we talked a little bit about the idea of him staying as a starter in a smaller starting unit. Um, I guess the, the more applicable question, because I, I really don't see any logic in OG coming off the bench since he's their best individual defender. And, and, it's, too, and, and it's Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say he makes the most sense in like the fifth usage role 
anyway. Yeah, it's like um, your bench is made, other than Chris Boucher, is made of like guys who are low usage players. So you want to take your low usage starter and and take him off the bench. Like it does, it's it becomes really hard to juggle. I think, uh, yeah. and and also OG is really good. Also, there's <laughs> just no there's no reason that Van like like the reason that Powell uh, is good as a starter should carry over to the bench. Like, yes, he's not the part of the reason is that the ball flows better with the starters and he's not as big a focus of the defense, but he's also playing against worse players. If he comes off the bench, yeah, he, should, the, he he has a pretty long track record of being an effective bench player as well. So yeah, the one thing I, I can say other than what you mentioned about the ball movement is like, he got some pretty good screens from Aaron Baines, who is yeah. the best screener on the well, team. Move them both to the bench then. <laughs> There you go. Start uh, Boucher with OG, and uh, you know you run that uh, that that Baines Powell pick and roll as the the crux of your second unit offense with Utah, Bembry, and Stanley uh, spaced out around it. Uh, I mean, you always have. I mean, if Lowry is healthy, you have one point guard on the floor, so it yes. shouldn't be too much of a problem. But it does become a juggling act for Nurse as he tries to keep multiple starters on the floor at the same time. Uh, all right, let's look ahead a little bit. Uh, uh, bizarre... Just one last thing on oh. Powell. His like, first of all, he's been money from the money from the corners, uh, and his drives and the decisiveness with his drives in the half court. Oh my god, he's getting there in like a second. It's yeah. really impressive to watch. I'm... And th- this is him. Like he's done this before, but this is yeah, him at his best. It's cool to see because like. You know, you go back to his rookie year and it was mostly defense where he's providing his value. And there was even a little bit of like, oh, could he, you know, be a a bit of a point guard for them? And then over the, you know, over the next two years, that shine kind of came off. It was like, okay, well, he's a good attacker. But until he's, you know, he's a bad three-point shooter his first three seasons. Um, And until that came along, it was like, okay, well, you need that shot to really open up your attack game. And now we see that it's three years now of Powell being a a 40% plus three point shooter and teams really have to scramble out at him on the wing or out of the corner. And that, you know, he has a great first step and and burst to the rim. And that's, that's huge. It it helps too. He's a good free throw shooter. So, so when he does get fouled, um, you know, he's effective there. And then, you know, the big thing that needs to follow now is he's not a very good natural playmaker in those situations. And obviously, you know, your first priority is to attack that scramble defense and get to the paint. And that's, that's the hardest part. And that's the most important part. Um, You know, Powell being having a career low 8% assist rate right now, uh, that's trended in the right direction, but that's, that's the next step for him now is, can you find that dump off? Can you find that kick out when, um, you know, the attempt at the rim isn't there, but the attempts at the rim, you know, have been there. He's only finishing 51% at the rim. And it's, it's almost wild to think what his stat line would look like if he were finishing, you know, even at 60%. A lot of that is dragged down by early in the season though. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying like, you look at his stat line and like, if, if he were finishing a bit better, you know, suddenly you're looking at 17, 18 points a game on on really good efficiency. So um, the Norman Powell trade value meters swinging way back and forth. <laughs> the pendulum the of our times. Yes. yes. Uh, he's been very like, it's a cliche, hot knife through buttery. Like that, that, like that's just how he's, he's seemed. And you know what? He even had a pretty damn good defensive game against Brooklyn. Yeah. Shout out to Fiona Apple, hot knife. Uh, if I'm butter, then he's a hot knife. Uh, that's the the way the Memphis Grizzlies defense felt about Norman Powell for sure. Uh, let's look ahead. This Raptors weird. So the Raptors were at home, quote unquote, in Tampa. They are now in the midst of a six game road trip. They'll return home, quote unquote, for one game and then head out on another three game road trip and then return home again. Um, all told, that will be 12 games in 22 days across 11 stops. So no, it's not a a 12 game road trip um, because it started in Tampa. There's one game in the middle in Tampa and it ends in Tampa. But other than two straight in Milwaukee, they will have played uh, 12 games in different cities over 22 days, um, with one exception being the, the Milwaukee two game set. That is... Just a crazy schedule, even by condensed NBA schedule standards. 
Uh, more specifically, Eric, the week ahead has a game at the Washington Wizards, a game at the Boston Celtics on second night of a back-to-back, and then a game back home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Wizards and Timberwolves, both among the worst teams in the league and the worst defenses in the league. So that number seven rating on offense uh, has a little chance to, to keep kicking here. So, Eric, the question that comes, when we talk after the Minnesota game, uh, next Monday, I'd imagine, is when we'll do this podcast. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone watching that Raptors-Timberwolves game, by the way. Um, will the Raptors be back over 500? That would require a 3-0 week. Uh, no. I'm going to go win-loss-win. I knew uh, you would. As chalk. Is Russ injured? Did I imagine that? Am I making um, that up? What's the latest update on him? Let me see here. Uh, no, he's not on the injury report anyway. All right, that doesn't change. Just, uh, just friend of Pascal Siakam and Paul Watson, Thomas Bryant. He's, uh, uh, yeah, he's done for the year. Yeah. Now I'm going to predict win loss win. Uh, expect another high scoring game yeah. against the Wizards. <laughs> I think yeah. we can safely say. Um, yeah, and then they go into what is it? Two games against Milwaukee after that. That'll be great. Yeah. Um, Russ didn't play last night, by the way, but he, uh, uh it, been he, it was a rest on yeah, a back to back. Yeah. Yeah. Raul Neto got the start instead. Um, yeah. Six, six points, a rebound, a four assist. Good for you guy. Uh, all right. So the Raptors are going to go, uh, two and one according to Eric Green. Yeah. I have a cool, last question for you. Do you think, oh, boy. do you think the Tampa championship run is now officially on, uh, and it's going to impact the Raptors? <sighs> I don't know. I think it's it's loose, right? Because, um, you know, the the Rays didn't win the championship. Well, the, I mean, so are the Raptors going to make the finals? I guess is my question. I would say no, but it look if if another Canadian wins a championship in a big event in Tampa Bay in the coming months, and I am of course referring to Edge at WrestleMania. Then yes, if Edge wins the title at WrestleMania and we have we have proof that a Canadian can come down to Tampa and uh, win a championship there, then then I'll get on board with it. Well, he yeah, I guess he didn't win a championship, but he did w- he, win the Royal Rumble. Yeah. At, so uh, he effectively made the finals because yeah. he'll be in a championship match at WrestleMania. But yeah, um, yeah, boy, the WWE is bad right now. Um, they really are putting off uh, making some decisions. Yeah. Um, okay, so Eric, uh, that's like. about it for this podcast. To tease something, uh, this is not the last time I'll talk to you for a podcast today. Hey, oh, um, although that episode won't air for like a month, so yeah. uh, maybe this tease is premature. But thank you for doing this, Eric. Thanks everyone for listening. A reminder: theathletic.com/slash we the six for a discounted subscription to the written side of us Raptors Reason lists. Uh, if you're not already subscribed, and keep an eye out for. Um, my Malachi Flynn 905 piece, uh, Eric's big feature coming out Wednesday, and all our game coverage. You know, it's a it's a high scoring Wizards game, and, and then a rivalry game with the Celtics. It's a good good week to tune in. Eric, thanks so much, man. Now people are just super curious about what's going on in the Blake and Eric expanded universe. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks, Blake. See ya.